Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Mada, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. One thing you learn in business is that the future comes at you fast. As much as you try to stay ahead of the curve, the next big thing could already be around the corner. And if you're not aware of what's coming, it could spell the end. Just ask Blockbuster Video. It could be a full-time gig then to keep up with the trends. And I don't just mean technology. Smart companies are nimble and flexible, but even the most adaptable ones could use a glimpse of the future. And that's why they turn to my guest, futurist Angela Kring. Angela's company, Joy Forward Strategy, helps companies identify and plan for emerging trends. They hire her to put together strategic plans and open up possibilities. A key value here is that the future is not linear. We have agency over what's to come if we keep our eyes on the horizon. Angela founded Joy Forward Strategy in May 2020, and today she handles a range of clients, including some of the largest employers in the Acadian area. Angela Kring, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Um, so predicting the future is actually a time-honored occupation. Even the Oracle at Delphi had to make a buck. And today, psychic services is actually a very big industry, accounting for about $2 billion in output in 2021, according to national industry estimates. But people turn to my guest, April the Cajun Medium, as kind of a life advisor. She says her work helps to reaffirm what people already know about themselves. April didn't embrace her own talents until she was in her 30s, working until then as an accountant. And today she runs a business as a forensic psychic medium and performs tarot card readings and helps with missing person cases. April is originally from Lafayette. She's performed hundreds of readings for free until opening her business in 2014. April, the Cajun medium. Welcome to Out the Lunch. Hi, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Angela, I've got to imagine, you know, just the title, right? Futurist. Uh, it's it's a job description that you probably spend a lot of time explaining to people. And so, you know, kind of my first thought is, what's something that people generally misunderstand about what you do? So I usually get a lot of uh, half-joking, half-serious questions from people. Oh, where's your crystal ball? Can you tell me the lotto numbers? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I get those questions too as well, actually. <laughs> So, but that's not at all what a futurist does. Being a futurist is actually more about today hmm. than it is about tomorrow. <laughs> because it's actually today that we make the decisions that create the future tomorrow. So you're, you're kind of having to take account of where things are going because you have to sort of look at current trajectories. Is that kind of what you're saying? Loosely, yes. It's not about prediction. It's more about, as you said in the introduction, watching both the, the present happenings of the world, mm -hmm. but looking deeper than just what's happening right now and asking the question, why is it happening? Mm. And what potential impacts could it have on the future, mm. but not just on 
one idea of the future, but on multiple ideas about what the future could possibly be. So, so are you, I'm trying to think through an example. So this might be like, you know, of course, during the pandemic, right, there's sort of the work from home trends that's affecting how businesses think about you know, am I going to have an office? Um, if you have a business that relies on people being in offices, right? I mean, you're, you're kind of, I'm assuming you're probably trying to ask a business to think deeper about what those trends are doing and what's kind of the underlying cause. So they don't get sort of just caught up in, well, no one's working in the office anymore. What am I going to do? Is that kind of where you're trying to help, like where you're inserting your thought process? Yes. And so we look at not just the fact that you know, lots of remote work is happening, but what what are the values, stories, and metaphors we've told ourselves hmm. and we've held on to that prevent organizations and people from being able to embrace something new like working remotely? Hmm. Like the concept that a manager thinks, oh, if I'm not watching over person X, they're not actually going to do anything. That's kind of a, a societal value that at least here in America over the past however many decades we've kind of built in. Hmm. And so reevaluating those values that we've held on to and flipping those upside down helps us actually build up a new, more transformational reality that embraces the changing environment and landscape around us. So April, I kind of want to, you know, direct a similar question to you, right? I mean, I, I suppose you deal with a lot of skeptics in your line of work, right? I mean, people who come in and like, don't necessarily buy it. But I'm curious, what do you find people most misunderstand about your work? I think that they've been to too many tarot card readers to, to kind of correct you. Like, I don't even read tarot cards anymore. Okay. I don't, a real psychic medium, and I'm not just a psychic, I'm a psychic medium. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't use tools. Um, I did for a long time because the people in Acadiana are used to going to so-and-so and so-and-so and getting their cards read. Well, I know what the cards are going to say as soon as I look at somebody's picture or I sit next to them. So um, I, don't, I don't use the cards anymore. Mm. Um, I only did that to satisfy my clients just to be able to say look it says this man is not good for you you see this broken heart right yeah. it's not just me saying it um, but the the skeptics when I when I came to terms with my gift I, I asked the creator uh, what is the best use of my gift and and it was to find the missing what is the highest level that I could do with this gift and it was my answer immediately was to find the missing mm. and so um, whenever someone says, oh, I don't believe in that, or I read, once I tell them who I am and what I do, and they, uh, they, I can read their mind and they think I'm a skeptic, I show them the initials on my arm and I say, it's okay if you don't believe me, but the families of these people that I found, they believe me and that's all that matters to me. <laughs> and usually skeptics, I'm too expensive for skeptics to book appointments with me. I, and I used to charge cheaper so that I could help more people, but I actually raised my price so that I wouldn't have to because if somebody comes in as a skeptic, they have this brick wall between their spirit and my spirit and I can't help them at all. And I'll, I'll just be like, I don't know why you booked an appointment with me. You don't want a reading, so here's a refund, bye. And I don't, I don't play with skeptics. I don't have time for that. Um, but do, I do don't people even entertain come in, them. Like folks who, who, who maybe even buy into it, right? And they show up and you, you 
give them a reading and like a person could be a believer and still be very skeptical about that's fair enough but about, in, like, within what, like three minutes they're already like oh my god how does this woman know so much about me so fair enough it's uh i've i've done over a thousand readings uh, maybe you know i don't know the number but at least a thousand readings and i've given money back twice and one lady only gave it back to her because she was convinced her husband wasn't cheating on her and I didn't want to break her heart. So I just gave her money back and said, I can't read for you. Yeah. You know, the other one, I still don't think I was wrong because I followed her Facebook for a while, but whatever, you know, whatever, whatever. Yeah. So um, I usually win the skeptics that are willing to pay me over because they really do want to know. There just have been to so many tarot card readers that were just throwing cards down and saying whatever. Uh, like the tarot card reader in New Orleans last weekend that told me I worked in a corporate office and one day I'd have a window view. It took everything in me not to laugh and walk, like literally laugh in her face. I was too polite to do that. But, you know, so usually I, I kill the skepticism very quickly because I'm able to tell them a lot about themselves in the first three to five minutes. That sure freaks them out. Yeah. I mean, Angela, I would suppose that you might would deal with a similar kind of thing where, where people kind of come into you. They, they generally buy up front what you're, what you're trying to help them do, right? And, and yet you know, you're still kind of having to read the tea leaves a little bit, right? In terms of like go through, interpret facts as they are and help people understand. I mean, it's, I guess I'm trying to get a sense too of like how you present, like how, how is this actually packaged to your client in terms of like when you're developing a strategic plan? Are you saying like, um, you know, here's scenario A, B, and C and how we account for scenario A, B, and C? Is it, um, you know, trying to direct to a specific lane of travel into the future? I mean, just help me a little, understand a little bit more about how you actually end up processing that information and turning that into a plan for people yeah so strategic foresight is something that works best when it's used as an operating system not just a plan so think of the operating system on your phone it's always running in the background and that's what strategic foresight should be and the apps on your phone are the laundry list of different tools that as a strategic foresight practitioner, I sort of have in my toolbox to be able to use depending on if we're doing, you know, more of a strategic planning kind of a session or if an organization is looking to create more opportunities for innovation or managing change. So it can be used for a lot of different things. But what I find is the biggest roadblock for people and for organizations is really the mindset piece. And the strategy that I use, there's four pillars. And the first pillar is the discover phase. And in that phase, I work to get people to understand that to do this kind of work, you have to be open-minded. And if you're not, then that's where we're gonna stay in the work, is in that first phase of getting people to open their minds up to possibility and to challenge people's unconscious biases. You know, we all sort of approach life with blinders on and not intentionally, but just all of our experiences that we've had throughout life are all unique. So we all have unique perspectives, but bringing people together in a collaborative way to examine 
and actually listen to and try to understand each other's perspectives and values is what really helps us to get a clear picture of what possible futures there could be. Hmm. So, April, I mean, do, do people, you know, tend to, you mentioned earlier, right, like there's a whole world of people who do work like yours, right, and, and you kind of distinguish yourself and how you approach it from other folks. I mean, but if I'm a person who's just sort of interested, right, in seeing a psych medium or, or you know, engaging in some sort of metaphysical practice, I wouldn't even know where to begin. So, like, how do people even establish okay, well, here's a psychic medium that's worth my time versus this is, you know, somebody who's, uh, you know, performing a parlor trick, right? I mean, I would seem like there would have to be a distinction there. Absolutely. You Google. Google is the answer. Um, There's several articles on me about Google, about the cases that I've found people. Um, You look at reviews. um, You you do research. Um, If they... um, (laughs) If, they, if you don't sit down and feel like you're talking to your best friend in the first 30 seconds, you're at the wrong place. If they try to get you to buy candles or, or do any type of, of anything to, oh, you have this with you, you know, you know, you know you're in the wrong place. Um, and, and not everybody comes that, that, that can see the future and talk to those that have passed come from a good place, right? For every good, there is bad. And so that's why I encourage people to Google, look at reviews. Um, see how long they've been in business. I wouldn't still be in business this long if I was faking it. Um, I never tell anybody something that's in an obituary uh, because obituaries say a lot of information, right? Uh, And lots of fakes will go straight to somebody's obituary to do a mediumship reading. Um, I tell you personal things and work on cases. My actual super gift is knowing how someone has passed. I feel their passing in my body. That's how I'm able to work on homicide and missing cases. Um, because that helps determine who did it, how, where. Um, I see, like, the last thing they saw and and things like that, so. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with April Cajun medium and futurist Angela Kruger. So it's interesting to me, you know, Angela, I mean, you... This is a skill set in and of itself, meaning like you, you develop like your background professionally prior to becoming a futurist was different, right? And then you kind of make a decision like, hey, I'm going to go, I think with futures, for, forgive me for not remembering the name of the school, but like you actually go to a specific school for training in this as a practice. I mean, so I guess I'd be curious to know, like, when is it that you kind of figured out like, you know, hey, I feel like there's an opportunity here to do something different with, you know, my natural talents and... and Futurism, if that might be the term, was the thing I wanted to apply to, right? Especially kind of as a mid-career sort of shift. Right. So my background is very heavy in the sciences. Sure. <laughs> my, um, if you look at my bio, that's what my degrees are in. I worked in um, hydrology and geology for a number of years before moving into the the nonprofit sector, and. I found myself through both professional experiences and a lot through volunteer experiences also, because I am a, what I call a serial volunteerer. Same, I am a serial volunteer. I do not charge for my missing work. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I loved every opportunity I had to help organizations grow into the future. 
So when I left my, you know, my last career before I started Joy Forward Strategy, I really asked myself, like, what do I, what do I really love doing? What fuels me? And that strategy piece was it. But I also had this sense that there had to be a better way to do it than just writing a strategic plan for people. And I came across this concept of strategic foresight and it was, it was like a seed was planted. And once it started to grow, it was one of those things I just, I just intuitively knew that that was for me. And once I started studying it and practicing it, I knew I would never do anything else. And it came at a time when in 2020, the infamous 2020, when the world and in general was in a pretty dark place. But strategic foresight helped me to see sort of the the light at the end of the tunnel because it opened my eyes to the fact that from today to tomorrow, there are endless possibilities of what could happen. And as long as we're helping ourselves to gain agency over the future, and as long as we have hope in the future, then the possibilities can grow from there. Yeah, it's interesting that you you start this right in in 2020, because one thing that I sort of thought about was, you know, you, you, you hear famously that, epidemiologists and public health officials have been warning, you know, that the country is um, vulnerable to a, a major epidemic event like the pandemic, right? That's, that made no sense. You can't have an epidemic event that's a pandemic. But you get what I'm saying. Like, people sort of said, like, this is something we're vulnerable to, and there's a level of denial, right, that comes along with it. People say, well, that's something that may happen, but I'm not going to worry about it, so you kind of don't prepare. And so, I mean, do you guys find, I guess, the question for both of you, really, that, that people are generally receptive to the idea that this thing that may be coming, and I understand, Angela, in your case, right, you're not necessarily asking people to predict the future, but we're sort of trying to create resilient strategies now or adapt what we're doing to be prepared for this, that, that people have a natural resistance to sort of saying, well, I, I don't want to account for this thing that may or may not happen, right? You kind of think about these things that we go through where it seems like pretty common story is, is like, well, Hindsight is twenty twenty. Should have planned for that. It was like, well, the warning signs were there the whole time. I mean, is is that a human nature thing that you find in your April? You were raising your very like raising my hand yeah. because that's your intuition talking to you every time you have that gut feeling of, oh, the difference between anxiety and intuition is anxiety says, oh, I'm so scared there's going to be a pandemic. I need to stock and pile everything. Like my great great grandmother had three freezers because she just knew, oh, we're going to run out of food one day, you know, but she didn't say it that way. It was always a fear. And an intuition is, I know this is going to happen. I know, oh God, you know, it seems like a fear, but the words inside of your head are, I know, blah, blah, blah. Um, anxiety is, oh gosh, you know, this could happen, right? So, so 
there's a difference. And, and you use that word intuition and you use that word intuition. You're very intuitive yourself. I can tell by your eyes. I read people through their eyes, even through their glasses when they're next to me. And, um, and I'm really proud of you for following your intuition because you're very good at what you do, I can tell. So I know you don't use your gift for it specifically, but you do have a gift. But um, yeah, so intuition is everything. And I think that that's my greatest gift that I give the world is not even finding the missing, is teaching people to trust their intuition. So much so that if you're supposed to turn left when you leave here, your gut says, I should go right. And you go right and nothing happens. Little did you know, had you turned left, you may have died in a car wreck, yeah. right? Like, so at the end of the day, my greatest teaching is follow here your head your heart and your head will always lie to you they're there for chemical response and chemical processes but your gut is a spiritual connection to what i call spirit the uh love and light and energy of the creator and it will never lie to you i mean angela do you find that people are resistant to the idea of change i mean i, I i'm trying to be careful because i know you're, you're you know you're not talking about prediction right where you're you're talking to your clients about hey gang there's an 18-wheeler coming right at you and they don't believe you, but it would still seem to be like at some level you're, you're asking people perhaps to, to change aspects of what they do based on emerging trends or, or things that are happening in the world. So is there that natural resistance or, or do you find that most people are receptive to what you're trying to talk? I mean, I guess they're paying you to do it, so I hope they're pretty receptive, but you know, I, I, <laughs> it just seems like it would be human nature to say like, well, I don't know, I'm going to be a little skeptical about that. There is a lot of skepticism, and I think that comes from two places. One, you know, to a certain extent, psychologically, as humans, we want stability. We want to feel safe. <clears throat> a lot of my work in trying to get people to be more open-minded is really based in neuroscience principles that go back to you know the beginning of man before computers and uh, and more back when we had more animal type instincts and how how the brain operates on a natural basis versus the things that we force our brains to think about in a modern society. Um, so I, I do a lot of exer neuroscience-based exercises with my clients on tips and tricks they can do to be more open-minded and get their brains to switch from uh, between the, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous systems. That has a lot to do with it. Like, you know, most of us, a lot of people, April, you mentioned uh, this, the tarot card reader who told you you might have a window to look out one day. Like out of my corporate office. I've, I haven't worked in corporate in 25 years, baby. That was such a joke, right? But having a window is actually a huge deal because what we it's look so at to see outside yes what we look at matters the images that we see matter they frame our mindset but not just images that are up close actually looking out in the distance can automatically switch you to a different mindset. So one of the things I tell my clients is, 
If you can't get outside, at least go to a window and stare off in the distance for one minute. Just one minute. That seems like an eternity for, for anybody who like, <laughs> like working in media, or like I'm like consuming information all the time. Like, Wait, you want me to stop what I'm doing and just for like stare? a whole minute? Yes, for a whole minute. Oh. If that and wasn't it, bad radio, I'd suggest that we would all do that right now. But I know, I know. <laughs> but that can, that can change your mindset. But the problem is we've built our organizations and our systems to resist people doing those things that can actually put us in a mindset where we're more open and more innovative and we can be more creative and more open to change. So it's both the psychology the psychology of individuals and these unrealistic systems that we've built into our organizations to keep things very structured, very linear, when that's not actually the way the world works. <laughs> April, is there advice that you have for people, you know, if, if they want to sort of open their hearts a little bit more to what you do? Like, I mean, how you maybe try to get people into the right mental state right to, to to engage with your work i guess it's not so it for me it's not so much about their mental state i do every reading i do outside if it's raining i'll cancel an appointment and say i'm sorry i can't do it it's raining i absolutely have to be outside and barefoot to do a great reading um i mean i've done them in public and i keep my shoes on but eventually i slip them off to ground but I love her advice of get a different perspective. I think working in cubicles and in the corporate world killed, like was killing my spirit, absolutely. And, um, and, and you mentioned science in such a way, I, I believe in, in that the creator was a the best scientist ever, right? And that everything is sacred geometry. Um, and that if we just tune in, and it's easy to tune in. The first time, the, I'm very ADHD, very ADHD. And so the very first time I tried to meditate, I timed myself, it lasted 10 seconds. Now if I try to meditate and I don't set a timer, I'm gonna fall asleep. So I could teach you, I'll give you, I'll give you a free lesson on that, but it's so important that we tune out, like she, I forgot the word you used, apologize there, but the real word is you're asking them to meditate for a minute and look at the creation. And when you're connected to creation, it's easier for you to see truth and to feel the truth in your gut of what you need to do. Well, I, I guess maybe the message here, right, is I think everybody could use a minute to look up from what they're doing and see what's coming, right? I mean, there's an element of that's just solid common sense advice. Like we all spend a lot of time. But that uh, not enough people do. Like it's common sense advice to go outside sometimes, but there are many people that never go outside, especially since the pandemic. We got Instacart, we got DoorDash, we've got, you know, social anxiety now because of the pandemic and not enough people go outside. Um, guilty of a little social anxiety myself. When I sit next to people, I feel their anxiousness. I feel, you know, I feel their pains in their bodies. So uh, I'm a little different, but um, I think it's very important to be outside. I think it's very important to be in creation. Um, years ago, I had my, my husband outside with extension cords and wires with his, uh, with his, with his computer, he's a lawyer. And I'm um, like, you can do all this outside. Your mood would be so much better. I can't deal with your mood. And that was way before I dealt with my gift. I just knew that subconsciously or psychically, like you'll work better outside. And he performed 50% better 
on his next review because I had him on extension cords working outside. This is like 20 years ago before Wi-Fi, okay? Right. <laughs> like, well, real, literally, <laughs> like it was so we lived on a beautiful farm. Like, go outside and look at this beautiful stuff that you're paying for. Like, this is it, right? Well, okay, so let me correct myself and say that, look, we can spend a lot of time worrying about the future, but at some point we all kind of have to ground ourselves in the present. And if nothing so else, important. I'd like to thank... Uh, Angela and April, both of you, for spending a little time in the present with me here on Out to Lunch Acadia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been futurist Angela Kring and April the Cajun Medium. We edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRBS. And you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Angela and April by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe to the podcast in your podcast app. And on our website, it's Acadia.com. If you want to know what we all look like, maybe it's a better idea that you can just stop and stare out into the distance. Uh, and then you'll see photos from the show on it's Acadiana.com and on our social media. These photos were taken by Astra Morgan, and you can find more of Astra's photos at astramorgan.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for it's Acadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Pearl. Our associate producers are Molly Richard, Shayla Lang, and Destiny Traha. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. Today's show was engineered by Dylan Babineau. I'm Christian Mader. I'm editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit news outlet. For more stories deeper than the headlines, head over to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. See you here again next time for more business and conversation and out to lunch at KDN. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.